Welcome to the show. On this week's episode, we have the very special Will Sylvince. A little bit of a different episode. Kind of like OJM vibes in terms of like the type of episode that we did. Kind of just rift. We had some questions prepared as always. Yeah, it was a uh, nice wanna... sort of back. And who, is, who is Will Sylvince? Just well, great questions. Brief. Briefly, we'll briefly. Keep it brief. We'll give you the cliff of the cliff note. Will is a career comedian, comic actor, writer, director. First and foremost, he's a stand-up from Haiti. Stand-up comedian and a stand-up guy. Yeah. As you said, OJM vibes without him being an an actual OJM for the record. Hangs out with a lot of OJMs though. First non-Jew on the podcast. First non-Jew on the podcast. Can't wait to have him on again. I'm a regular at the Comedy Cellar and Will was the MC for the first show I ever went to. And he's great. Jack of all trades. Really awesome. Super cool guy. We talked about all things comedy, the state of comedy now, Dave Chappelle, what it's like to be at the cellar with other comedians, and his sort of long-standing personal project, his the film he's making, we're raising money for, I Am Maurice. Where can people find them? At Will Sylvans? Uh, yeah, you can find him uh, at Will Sylvans on Instagram or willsylvans.com. Which or shows. likely if you go to the cellar in New York City, you can... Right, exactly. And support Jewish comedy because they're all Jews. Yeah, listen. This episode is brought to you by the elders of Zion. <laughs> Been doing it since 1903. Are we, are we have a live yeah, audience. That's true, a live Fred. audience here. Fred said we need we, we need more Jewish comedians. It's really a dying art form for us. Like is Greg? Fred. Fred. Oh, Fred. He goes by Greg right. on Monday afternoons, though. Yeah, you wanna you wanna give your first shout out here? Yeah, jump in. Yeah, it's, jump in. it's wonderful to be on finally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. What do you want to plug? Hit us, you want to yeah, plug? yeah, yeah. Plug something. Plug your profession. Plug, plug something. A lot yeah, of our listeners yeah, yeah. want to hear more. Do you want me to give you a plug to plug something in? I mean, you know, okay. Go to me. You know, I'll come on another time and we can have a, a better discussion. Okay. I want to leave us with okay. a joke, a tidbit, something, you know. Just like a quote, something. Quote. Tell your, your, your parents, your siblings, your cousins that you love them today. That's what I'd say. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. Dr. Nice. Greg, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for stopping in today. But this is our new segment where we go onto the street and we pull homeless people off the street and ask them to give us a quote or a tidbit. We're happy to be with you. Obviously, you know, across the pond, Isaac in New York, Mayor, uh, myself, I don't always speak in the third person, only when I'm hanging out with my friends. And that's you guys and gals in uh, America and Ireland. Ireland, we see you. United Kingdom. That's that. What is that? What did I just do? South African? South African. Um, yeah, so it's always a pleasure to record from such a long distance. It's amazing the gifts that we have these days. God is shining his light on podcasters. Yeah, I mean, let's, I think we should quote Rabbi Manus Friedman. Go you know, hit it. Zoom has become the world's largest yeshiva. There you go. And just, you know, just a place of, uh, of sharing of, of information and, and knowledge and education. I don't know what this podcast would look like if we did it in person. I'm not going to lie. It'd be fun. I'd love that. We'd need a nice setup because... It would be. No, it's true. So is the reason that you're not making Aliyah because of the constant Israel elections? There's just too much democracy here for you? No, I, this is going to sound wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's the closest I can say to it being correct. I love Israel, but I don't understand it. Not that I have to understand it to move there. Like, is there a subway? There's a light rail. There's a subway in Tel Aviv okay. opening up in 2023. Maybe, probably not. Right. 2024. Okay. Do they now again, as a proud diasport Jew, do they have like any, any right. variation on the bagel? There is a variation on the bagel. So both of your answers, both of my, both of your questions are yes. Okay. And is there any pizza? Plenty of pizza. The cream cheese is faulty. Okay. And we don't have Brooklyn water, so you can't get that <laughs> like that good water for the bagels. So. There's a little bit of comedy. There's not much, but there's a little bit of comedy. And there's uh, amazing people and holiness. And, and uh, like I keep telling you, you don't want to be at JFK when Mashiach comes. I know most of our listeners are in New York. Guys, think about the lines trying to get to the airport. All those, all those Jews just going to be like Jew City at the oh, airport. <laughs> I thought, oh, Jews here. I thought you, you were using JFK for, as a different acronym. The other acronym no. is just for Kiddush. It's the Jews that show up just for Kiddush after the service well, on Saturday. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Just for Kiddush. Just oh. for Kiddush. 
Yeah, JFK. JFK. Yeah. Okay. What about pastrami? I mean, come on. Pastrami lacking in the strami. Definitely lacking in the strami. How beautiful would it be to be out of your homeland for 3,000 years and you bring back to the Holy Land something you made outside the Holy Land? 2,000 years. 2,000 years, right. Yeah. Well, another thousand for inflation, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're on one today. We actually, uh, let's lift the curtain. We had a whole intro recorded uh, yesterday and the recording was lost. I think I deleted it by mistake. And uh, this is us. I think I'm, ha- I'm happy that this is happening. Like, this is good. And no, we're, we're one of the things players. that we spoke no, about, good. one of the things that we spoke about, which we're not going to get into because honestly, I'm not so well-versed, but you know, you asked me about the elections in Israel and just on a very basic level in terms of, I'm not well-versed in terms of like what's going to happen. But we can talk about what's happening right now. If anyone has any questions, I want to plug in our friends over at Unpacked. They've been sharing some cool videos on Instagram about different parties and the way that the Israeli election system works and how it's different. So you check that out, please. Uh, but essentially, uh, in Israel, there's 120 seats, kind of like the Congress. That's the government. And whoever has the majority of seats, which are elected by the people in elections, can create a government. And over the last three or four years, there's been, I think, five elections. We're coming up on the fifth this year. The government just uh, collapsed again, which means that they lost the majority. Things are crazy right now in Israel. There's a lot of different interests. There's security interests. There's economic interests. Things are very expensive here. Tel Aviv is the most expensive city in the world. Well, given that you're talking to someone who lives in the second most expensive city in the world, I feel like... Was New York number two? Yeah, maybe it's three. Well, it's in the top five. In any event, it was always yeah. top five. But in any event... Right, yeah. So... What's like, what's like a one bedroom? What's a one bedroom in your area? You live in Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Uh, Jerusalem. Yeah. I mean, one bedroom in like sought after cities, sought after like neighborhoods, like a studio. You, yeah. You could probably find one for like 3000 shekels, which is a little over a thousand dollars, a little wow. under a thousand dollars. But I guess that's expensive because the pay is less in Israel. It's all relative. You can find a really good career here in tech. Right, right. Uh, and you don't have to be a coder. You can work marketing in tech, sales in tech. You can work in HR in tech. There's like a really, when things get expensive in a country such as Israel, and it's not, we're not talking like Turkish inflation right now. We're talking like a proper economic drive that is driving prices up because people want to be here and quality of life is high here and people are so happy prices here. prices are up because demand is up? Correct. Uh-huh. And also like supply is low. So it's a small country. A lot of people want to be here. Uh, Would Israel ever have overpopulation? Yeah, we're we're, we're tracking towards <laughs> under, under the current projections. The biggest population groups are Haredim and Arabs. So, yeah, because people in Tel Aviv are just having less babies. Haredim don't stop having babies. Historically, so, Arab Muslims have a lot saying, of kids. What you're saying, Mayor, just so I understand this, what you're saying is that at a certain point, the Prime Minister of Israel will have to put out a message saying, "No more Jews." No, what I'm saying is that the Prime Minister of Israel will one day say "Get Shabbos" instead of Shabbat Shalom. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, I mean, yeah, we're tracking towards a Haredi country and like get on the ship or, or get left behind. No, it, listen, it's tough here. It's tough. There's a lot of different kinds of people. You know, I feel for the people in Tel Aviv that are secular. I feel for the people in Jerusalem that are religious. I, I, I always, I've talked about this and I spoke about this on the podcast with, uh, with the two Hasids, which we also got a little bit into politics there. Nice little Israel debate, Zionism debate. Um, They're Zionist neutral, not to give away amongst, their beliefs. Yeah, yeah, it's like Zionist neutral bordering non-Zionist slash anti-Zionist, but not from an anti-Semitic perspective. It's, you got to listen to the conversation. We spoke about a lot more, a lot of good Torah in that, in our conversation, not just about Israel, but I feel like I'm in the middle of like the, the Tel Aviv vibe of secular, let me do whatever I want, kind of like, let me just be a cultural Jew to the, you know, a Torah observant, you know, uh, Jerusalem Tzvat vibes. I think the second that we find a middle ground, which is something that like groups like Chabad and Breslov, I think are trying to achieve. What is Breslov? People have heard a lot about Chabad. What's Breslov? It's Breslov is like a different Hasidic group. Do They do a lot of outreach in a different kind of way than Chabad. Um, not, or do they butt heads? Philosophically, yeah, but not... Economically. Not, when it, not when it comes to like bringing Jews closer, okay. closer. I think in, in Tzvah, you see a really good mix of like all the different types of Hasidim, or at least the ones that are there. Just from my outsider's experience, you know, I've always just seen a good vibe there of like all kinds of Jews, all kinds of backgrounds. And I feel like Chabad and Breslov have a good idea of what it takes to like 
show people that, you know, you can do some mitzvot and work your way up. Like it's not all or nothing. And there is something to gain from developing a relationship with this thing called Judaism and this entity called God. And, you know, Chabad, a lot of Chabad emphasizes a lot on like still being involved in the material world and not just becoming this monk in the mountains who's disconnected. No, you have to go and be a member of society and, and, and involve yourself in the physical and bring down the spiritual into the physical. That's our challenge. And Israel is like a living example of this constantly day by day. It's just like, you yeah. know, almost yeah. every interaction you have, you know, if, as soon as somebody finds out, oh, you're religious. And it's like, you get into this conversation with people and it's like, yeah, so what? Isn't that a perfect way to understand your life personally? I mean, you physically put yourself in not just observant spaces, but secular spaces, but yeah. you're bringing down the spirituality. Right. So what was, what's the question? Well, that seems like that the dichotomy you just outlined mirrors Right. The balance you try to bring to your right. life every day. Right. And I, yeah, I guess I just try to encourage other people to see it that way. And like, I understand when a secular person gets upset by a religious person. I also understand when a religious person gets upset by a secular person. We have to see each other from both sides. Well, people are jealous of you, Mayor. Jealous? Because you, because you, you found a balance. Well, I'm working. I'm finding the balance. Yeah, I'm not. No, no. I am not at the plateau, sir. I've not reached the, the, no, no, no. Uh, the mountain top. No, 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 no. But we're not using an Everest metric. What's the problem with using an Everest metric? Hashem is beyond no, Everest. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is like well, yeah. I can say what I said without you thinking that I think you're at the Everest right now. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so. I hear, I hear what you're saying. Like, yeah. I, I don't like to think that people are, like, jealous. It has a negative oh, connotation. All right, let me, let me clarify it so that people don't look at it negatively. But no, I think this is interesting. I, your process, I think, is really something to be envious of, in part because, like, perfect example. The last time we left 770, we went, we in, we wrapped up, we unwrapped, we left, and you told me, like, I like it how we can go there. We don't judge them. They don't judge us. We can do our thing. And we don't have to stay all day. I mean, again, no one's suggesting the contrary, but it's like, again, what I'm getting to is that we know a lot of people who view it as a zero-sum game. It's all or nothing. And appreciating the process, I think, is what's really, what's really important. Like, the first time you put on tefillin was not the, fir- the beginning of you putting on tefillin every day. Right. That was, yeah, right. was 13 and, yeah. Right, Exactly. But now it's a point, but now you've reached a point where you don't miss a day. We could devote a whole podcast to how beautiful that is. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I would just say, like, like I said, it's a continuing journey and it's something that we have to work on every single day. And that's the special thing about something like tefillin or, you know, whatever it may be in whatever mitzvah that, you know, you connect with that every day is a new opportunity. You know, there's a lot that I still don't do. You know, it's hard for me sometimes to pray three times a day. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And Kashrut is also something I'm working on and blessings is something I'm working on and learning more Torah is something I'm working on. So like, but you have to be open to like adding some of these aspects into your life and doing it at the right time and the right moment in the right place when it makes sense to you. And now when it's forced, now when anyone's telling you to do it, it's just you and God. And like, it's the beauty of free will. It's really up to you, you know, not to get too topical, but when it comes to the, the topic of abortion, that it's obviously happening right now with Roe v. Wade, not get too much into it, but the idea of personal responsibility before and after the act, it's so important on both sides of the argument, right? That's what, that's what people are so worked up about. It's an issue of personal responsibility of the consequences of your actions on both sides. They're getting upset about consequences of actions, right? And so the Torah kind of guides us in a way, the Torah and the tzaddikim and the things that, that are a part of our identity, they guide us in a way that allow us to see those consequences in a clear light, or at least aim to. And this begins to feed into different aspects of your life. And, and it creates meaning. Toward a Meaningful Life is an amazing book by Simon Jacobson. It's, it's mostly about like relationships and stuff, but it's, all, it's I highly recommend people read it. And uh, what's the famous one by Victor Frankl? Man's Search for Meaning. Right. When you talk about meaning and, and, and what we do to be able to bring meaning uh, through, these, through these traditions and, and, and these teachings, uh, it's, it's big. It's big time. 
So actually, yeah, we this is a, an amazing intro. I'm very happy about this. We hope you enjoyed yeah, it too. Absolutely. Um, do you do you want to add anything else? You want to plug uh, in that book real quick? There is a book that recently came out that a former guest, writer, author, journalist Neil Carlin, highly current guest on the podcast. Yeah, a friend of the show. It's called Resistance: The Underground War Against Hitler, 1939 to 1945, by Halik Kuchansky. It's a very long, comprehensive book, and you know, one of the things you mentioned yesterday is that certain resistance fighters, like the Bielski brothers, or certain acts of resistance within, like the Warsaw Ghetto or the Vilna Ghetto, have gotten, I think, the most attention when it's when talked. If you were to isolate the amount of attention that resistance gets during the war, during the Holocaust, and this, like many other books, but this is the most recent example of a book that really goes in depth to all the different forms of resistance. So I highly recommend it. We'd love to have Kuchansky on the podcast. Um, so shout out if you're listening. Yeah. And yeah. I'm listening. The other book I wanted to plug on this note that we also mentioned on our last recording was uh, Fighters of the Forest, which specifically talks about the resistance in the forest, the people that like left the ghettos. The number was about, I think about 80% of the people that escaped into the forest actually did not survive. So the ones that did survive were either fighting or literally fighting for their lives in the freezing winters and lack of food and being chased by Nazi soldiers, by Polish soldiers, by Russian soldiers, enemies on all sides. Dark, dark time in our history, but we hope that this lighthearted episode, which, you know, not really about any of these topics that we mentioned at the intro, we hope you enjoy it. Again, different kind of interview with Will. Amazing guest. We hope to have him back on soon. We wish him the best of luck with his stand-up career and the movie. We hope you really enjoy the interview. Before we get to that, here is a word from our friends over at Unpacking Israeli History. When many of us hear Israel, we instinctively flinch. In conservative and liberal circles alike, suddenly it's political. It's a screaming match. Everyone throws around loaded terms like apartheid, occupation, terrorism. So either we have these massive fights or we shut down and avoid the conversations entirely. But what if there were a better way where you could think and discuss Israel respectfully and with depth and nuance? In Unpacking Israeli History, Dr. Noam Weissman, history buff and passionate storyteller, is diving into that complication. You can go back and binge all of the first two seasons and great news, season three just started. So join Noam as he explores stories like the deadly Mossad operations, the Jew who colluded with the Nazis, and a bloody massacre in Hebron 20 years before the founding of Israel. In each episode, Noam takes you into the guts of the story, what happened, why it happened, why it matters, and how each of these stories is still impacting the news today. And next time someone brings up Israel, maybe you won't duck and cover as arguments start flying around you. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Fun fact, Noam was also our first guest ever on the show. So when you listen to the show, Make sure you let him know how much you love our show as well and that we sent you there. And with that, enjoy the episode. Ever since I was little, man, I used to always think laughing was like the best thing in the world. Laughing is like, just remember like when you was a kid, like you used to just laugh and how good that felt and you want to do it again, you know? Sure. Yeah. I just decided like I used to do jokes or practical jokes to my family, my friends and it felt good to laugh. And so I always wanted to do that in some capacity as a hobby at first. And then um, now I started doing it full time. Welcome to the Two Tall Jews Show, presented by the On This Day in Jewish History Instagram account and brought to you by Best Shot Productions. For all your video marketing solutions, go to bestshotproductions.com and get a quote on your next video project today. We are the Two Tall Jews, and we are ready to go. On today's show, we are pleased to have comedian and actor Will Sylvance. Will is a veteran of the New York comedy scene and has opened for the likes of Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle and has performed on HBO, Comedy Central, and Showtime. A contributor to Chappelle Show and Damon Wyans' The Underground, Will hails from Brooklyn, who remembers a New York that preceded frozen yogurt shops, banks, and barista booming cafes. 
He has come to reign supreme, a comedic symbol of a bygone era, whose entertainer, whose impersonations, quick wit, and timing transcend the gentrified undercurrents of his audiences. He was also a longtime comic and MC at the Comedy Cellar, located in the heart of Greenwich Village. As a lifelong New Yorker, I have had the privilege to bear witness to Will's crowd work on many occasions. His ability to break barriers and cross cultures proves to be both provocative and evocative, stinging the soul of each audience member by providing the perfect synergy between the hilarious and the outrageous. When he is not touring the country or appearing in films, sketch comedy shows, or co-hosting the Laugh Buttons Talk Clearly or podcast with fellow colleague and comedian Cypher Sounds, Will can be found holding down center court at the Comedy Cellar, revving up the most energetic basement in the village, one joke at a time. Will Silvins, welcome to the show. Very happy to have you on. Hey, what's up? That was a long ass intro. I was like, I did all that? <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so I don't feel so bad now. Wait, so you guys call yourself the two, what Jews, the two what Jews? The two tall Jews. The two tall Jews, okay. Cause you said, Isaac, you said, um, Demond Wayans. Oh, Am I yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm sure I butchered that. It's Damon Wayans. Damon Wayans. <laughs> you never heard of Damon Wayans? That's hilarious. All right, that's cool. How y'all doing, man? Thanks for having me here. Well, I mean, I'm at my house, but still. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you found comedy? Well, my parents from Haiti, my family's from Haiti, Um, they came in search, I guess, for the American dream. My dad busted his ass, worked really hard became pretty successful for an immigrant. You know, he owned a couple of homes and stuff. And then he wanted us to follow suit, like, you know, study a good educational thing that's going to help you get a, land a good job, either being a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Um, that was the options. <laughs> and he used to say, there are so many options. So many options. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Look at all those options. I actually became an engineer. I used to build robots before comedy. Nice. And, but ever since I was little, man, I used to always think laughing was like the best thing in the world. Laughing is like, just remember like when you was a kid, like you used to just laugh and how good that felt. And you want to do it again, you know? Sure. Yeah. I just decided like, I used to do jokes or practical jokes to my family, my friends, and it felt good to laugh. And so I always wanted to do that in some capacity as a hobby at first. And then um, I started doing it full time. Do you remember your first open mic? I started in the in in urban community, in the, the black circuit. We don't have like open mics per se. It's like black comedians actually started the alt scene, alternative comedy, which was alternative back then meant a place that's not a comedy club. So they wouldn't let us perform, they meaning white clubs wouldn't let us perform in their clubs. So we had to create our own scenes, our own locations. They, let, they allowed like one or two black comics I remember I, I went to a comedy club to try to get in. The guy or who was running it, he was like, oh, we already have our black comic for the week. And back then it was like, all right, all right, I'll go find a club that needs a black comic. It was like, I would say the normish, not the norm. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I thought that's what they did. So uh, yeah, I started at the Black Circuit Club called Uptown Comedy Club. And uh, that's how I got my start. And black clubs is not really a bringer club. They just put you on. If you want to get on, you're like, hey, can I get on? Yeah, are right, you next? <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, is that quick? Like, <laughs> do I need a resume or something? Or do I need to, like, audition? No, no, two minutes, you're on. <laughs> that's great. So was there, like, a specific moment after going through the circuit and showing up all these different places? Was there a moment where you had that, like, aha moment when you were like, okay, I can make a career out of this? Or was it like a collection of moments? I was always just like, still like shocked, like, wow, I'm doing this and it's still, it's happening. And um, I don't know if there's an aha moment, but it's just an ongoing moment. Right. If that's the case. That makes sense. No, for sure. How long have you been hosting shows at the cellar? Well, I also do spots there as well. I just like hosting because it's a lot more fun. I, I feel like I get more jokes in. Yeah as opposed to just doing the set, and I become a little bit more dynamic, meaning I'm not stuck to a script. Um, but yeah, I started working the cell, I think 2005, I think. It's been a while, I can't remember. Has it changed a lot since then? Yeah, yeah, the cellar changed, like, I mean, popularity-wise, but what's always been consistent is how they run the cellar, which is really known as the Liz. Those are like the three-headed horsemen that holds it down, like, 
but like SD always been booking like great shows. Like I think that's the star of the seller is the shows. You know, you get people walking out, not saying like, oh, this comic wasn't funny. It's like the show was like they they walk out with it. It's such an experience. If you go to some other comic clubs, it'll be like one or two comics that's great or good. But the seller they book an amazing lineup. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that, you know, obviously you prefer working as an MC. Is there sort of like, I don't want to say a science, but like, is there a certain art that you've picked up where like there's certain things that you know are going to work kind of like uh, comedians that will memorize maybe three to five minutes. So you kind of repeat or are you going up there with like everything's coming off the cuff every time? Well, it's a, it's a combination. It's like you have your, your jokes that work. You have like your scripted stuff, but at the same time, you want to be in the moment. For me as a comic, I want to be like, you know, hey, how you doing? Where you from? And, you know, and create something from that. Or, or you know, if it's Black Friday or Thanksgiving or Halloween or whatever, or something happened in the news, you want to create something in the moment and go from there and take chances and see what, what happens. We're on with Will Sylvins, actor, comedian. You can be followed at Will Sylvins on Instagram and for all recent updates. Like Demon, Way- Demon Wayans. <laughs> Demon Wayans. I'm going to call him and I don't know. <laughs> so as you can tell by, you know, the name of the show, the Two Tall Jew Show and, and our name here on Zoom. How um, tall are you guys? I'm 6'9". Oh, shit. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And 6'1". Mayor, 6'1"? Oh, okay. So Isaac looked down on you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough when I hang out with him, to be honest. That's, that's, why, that's why I stay far away. Is it like rare to have tall Jews? Yeah, it's historically. Oh. There. Yeah. Yeah. Are Jewish basketball players. The one guy from Israel, uh, Denny Advia. Is he um, nice? Yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, he's he's young. He just started. I don't know who else. Oh, Omri Kaspi, another Israeli. The first NBA shot was made by a Jew. <laughs> the first. You serious? Yeah. I know that. That's a fun fact. There you go. How come you guys are not using that everywhere y'all go? <laughs> <laughs> it would fix everything. <laughs> we have a page on Instagram called On This Day in Jewish History, where we every day we like to talk about something else that happened on this day in Jewish history. So uh-huh. obviously we love to cover the cultural aspects too, because people think that, oh, Jewish history is so tragic. All you guys talk about is the sad shit. And it's like, no, there's actually a lot of happy and good stuff that's happened to us too. And so especially when it comes to comedy and culture, as you know, I'm sure, you know, you probably have a lot of Jewish colleagues. There is an element of like Jewish humor when it comes to especially like New York style humor and, and obviously, you know, the origins of Hollywood. So is it something that you feel like that you interact with as a non-Jew in your career in the comedy scene? You're able to identify also, you know, coming from a black background, obviously with like your struggles and is this something that you like empathize with your, with your Jewish colleagues? Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like we, we, we have similar struggles, similar things that we do or success. And just like what you just said about Jewish people, it's just not about the Holocaust. There's a lot of great things. There's like, with Black people, it's not just about slavery and segregation. Like, there's a lot of great things Black people have done and happened, and, and that's uplifting. And, you know, the fact that we, we came out of slavery and we're doing amazing, you know, I mean, and they're still holding us down, trying to hold us down. However, they still are... Um, black billionaires, uh, successful black people. The first open heart surgery was from a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, yeah, it's we, we, we're similar. We're, we're, <laughs> I think when you hold a, a certain group of people and they rise, it shows you how strong they really are. Or you know, maybe the reason why they try to hold them down because the fear of them. Right. And then you start making sense, but you guys get it right. What are they scared about? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Do you think that there's a science to like certain kinds of humor? So whether it's black humor or Jewish humor, do you think it's ingrained within the person that was raised and had that upbringing? I mean, obviously, I guess there are also rules and we can talk about who creates those rules. But do you feel like as far as like the kind of comedy and the people, you know, who are sort of performing that comedy, do you think it's more of a cultured line or do you think it just has to do with like shared experience? I feel like comedy is comedy, whether, you know, you're, you're Jewish, black, I don't like to really label it, but you do label it as a comedian or an, any artist, you talk about what you know, you create your art from what you know. I can't create 
art if I never been to China about China. I could speculate, but it won't be from a real place. Your work or your art come from me being black, me being Haitian. So I'm gonna talk about that. Or if I interact with any of my Jewish friends or any kind of Jewish thing or knowledge that I have, then I'll talk about it or I'll joke about it. But you know, most of the time it's just from what you know. The basketball player's name was uh, Asi Shechtman. Say the last name. Asi Shechtman. <laughs> I got the Asi part. <laughs> Shechtman. Shachman. Shachman. There's, yeah. a, there's a girl somewhere in there. 1946. November 1946. <laughs> 1946. Um, so as a seller regular, there's a lot of like cheerful camaraderie between seller comedians. As an audience member, it feels like one big family, um, however dysfunctional or functional it is. Uh, is that the case? Do you consider a lot of your colleagues your friends, or do you have like a strong line separating like your personal life and your professional career? We're almost friends for the most part. You know, we we hang out, we eat together, you know, we laugh together, uh, we work together. Um, also, I got friends that's outside of the comedy cell that I hang out with. I think the the, the atmosphere the comedy cell creates, that's why a lot of like comics that don't play that want to come and hang out there because it's so it's so inviting to comedians. It's almost like um I call the comedy seller. Um, you guys watch like Superhero movies and stuff, you know, like, you know, like X, you know, the X-Man. Mm-hmm. Professor X had a house for mutants. <laughs> and that's why I feel like the comic sounds like is a house for comedians, a mutant of comedians. You know, whether they play it or not, they just come and hang out at the olive tree and, and kick it. And we, we change stories, ideas and laugh or whatever, you know. Is it, would you say it's a welcoming environment for people who are just starting out in comedy who've like, you know, they, they get their first spot or they're able to call in for spots at the cellar is, you know, is the veteran comedian, you know, talking to the rookie or is it like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, but a lot of times we don't look at like, you know, look people like that, you know, we, we, you just, you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, we just, we all just. Be chilling at the at the olive tree upstairs from the comedy cellar. So it's not yeah. I don't. I don't. If there are people that do that, you know, they probably assholes. And <laughs> but yeah, that's great. What's your favorite club to play outside of New York? The DC Improv is one of my favorite clubs outside of New York. Oh man, I love the DC Improv. Um, Comedy and Magic, Mosa Beach in California, is another spot. I think those are two my two main. Places I feel like comedy and magic is the West Coast comedy seller. Have you ever performed in Florida, South Florida? Yeah, yeah. Is it shit? <laughs> Florida has a bad rap. That that's where I'm from, and I've heard from a lot of comedians that they love complaining about like going to Miami and it has a bad rap for what? Uh, not people not believing in science. <laughs> <laughs> that and just I think it gets a I think it's a matter of like they always complain about the crowds. I guess. I perform in Miami many times, man. I love the Miami crowd. Okay, cool. Everybody gonna have their own experience, but but I've been I've been to Miami many many times, and they the crowds are freaking live. Yeah, they're opening up a new one in uh, near Fort Lauderdale in Dania Beach, I believe. In Yeah, they had one down the US 101, right? Something US like one, and they had one in Fort Lauderdale at the yeah, casino, and they still have one at the um, West Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. And I, I played all three clubs and I played alternative clubs in Miami. Um, yeah, Miami is a fun place to perform and, and kick it. Nice. Do you have like a favorite person to work with, uh, either stand up or TV? Is there somebody that comes to mind? I like working with a lot of comics. A long time ago, I started doing this thing with Dave Attell where we just talk on stage and just kick it back and forth. That became so much fun. And then Dave and then Jeff Ross started doing um, bumping mics from that, that me and Dave started. And I got to be on that show. Also, I work with Cypher Sounds a lot. Shout, shout out to Cypher Sounds. He and I, we, we do a few shows together. We do a show on Wednesday called The Chemistry Set at the Comedy Cellar. And that's like a fun show. He and I, we, we both work together where it's not like really, not scripted. Scripted meaning like we're not just doing regular stand-up. We're just, you know, having fun. Obviously, you know, you spend a lot of time on stage. 
and we just spoke a little bit about shitty crowds, apparently in Miami. Um, how do you generally deal with hecklers? You just like throw it back in their face is, or is it like, you know, something they're wearing, something they say, you wait for like a moment. Um, meetings never miss. Man, there's no rhyme or reason with that. You just deal with it as it comes. I yeah. try to shut them down and don't give them any spotlight because sometimes they won't shut up. And it's not about the heckler because then it'll be about them and the whole show. And then, you know, people come out to see a show and not to hear some heckler yapping. I don't try. I try not to spend too much time on a heckler. One of the best parts is kind of related to hecklers, but not really. The thing I love about the seller is the no phone policy. And oh, yeah. I assume that policy has been in place since the invention of phones because the seller precedes the cell phone. But I really love the idea of pocketing the phone and just, you know, not recording or, you know, just being in that moment because... Yeah, just being present, being in the moment. When you go to some other clubs that don't do that, and then I think there's a certain percentage. I didn't do a hardcore research, but I, I have seen it where people be on their phone and then a comic would tell a joke and... The people that's on their phone, they're the ones not laughing because they're, they're, you know, on their phone. And then they just, now they're disturbing someone else. What did he say? What did she, what did she say? And so now that person gets distracted. So now a certain amount of percentage of audience is not laughing or paying attention because they're not in the moment and they're being distracted by the, by the phones. Because comedy works when you hear stuff. If you miss a line or, or even one word, you won't get the joke. You won't, you won't know what's going on. Yeah, no, I remember during, I know you were there, uh, benefit concert thrown by Davidson and John Stewart. You know, someone in the front row took out their phone when Chappelle was going, and Chappelle outed them, rightfully so. Yeah. It's like, like, what are we doing? We're all putting our phones in pouches, and you want to sneak some little recording? That was, that was beautiful. I love when they did that. Yeah. <laughs> so back when Johnny Carson reigned supreme, if you got on Carson and you killed on Carson and you could get onto the couch, you know, your career was essentially made. And now that's not sort of the case anymore. What matters is sort of the Netflix special, the HBO special. Do you agree with that sentiment? This idea that, well, what do you think about sort of Netflix and these streaming platforms being at the Everest of elevating comedians to the next level? I mean, back then, you know, doing Johnny Carson, that was like new and it was like the world or the US was grasping this newish thing. And also there was very few channels. So everybody was tuned in. Everybody who had a television was tuned in. So you, your options, and there was no phones. There was, unless you was a kid, you had a little toy, but that was it. So back then, you also had to be talented, obviously. You just couldn't just, you know, be on Johnny Carson. And, and so those stars was made, and, but it was harder to get to be made back then because it was very few show places putting people up, you know, showcasing them showing their talent, where nowadays we're so divided as far as what we're tuning into, you know, these obviously television and cable and internet and video games. So people's attention is divided and, and spread out so thinly. So like, you know, you could do these tonight shows like 10, 15 times, no, maybe not 10, 15, but I know comics who've done the late shows like seven or eight times and they still not superstar, you know? Even people who done Netflix, I know comics who done Netflix and they still, you know, they still haven't gone anywhere. Back then, the thing was the HBO special. And that was like the thing. And now it was like, maybe it could be a combination of the special, are they really special? Are people really saying something? Or people's attention, the, 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 the amount of people watching is divided. You know, back then it was like, you know, let's say, uh, 100 million people watching versus now 50,000, you know? Yeah. So without, you know, outing anyone, can you share a story of something that happened at the cellar in the back room that isn't as memorable or people don't know about? I don't know about hilarious, but I I, I remember I met um, Robin Williams there oh, yeah. um, years ago. And Robin Williams, after we got introduced, we, he was talking to me for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, but just talking to me. And I, and then I had to stop myself. I'm like, he's talking to me like we're BFFs. <laughs> and I'm like, did I meet him and forgot I met him? <laughs> but 
but that's how nice of a person he was. He, you know, he was such a nice guy that, you know, and I was like, oh, shoot. That was a moment I had. And every time he saw me after that, he just always, always showed me crazy love. Like, like we knew each other from way back then or something. Yeah, I miss him. I mean, obviously I never met him, but that was one that, it was one of those, like, I remember the moment I found out when he passed, it was like, it was really, it was really hard. I'm sure it was for all of you guys as well. The community. Yeah. Another time I remember, um, you know, obviously the comedy said they get a lot of drop-ins, right? But yeah. I want to say I was the first one hosting a show that was like a drop-in. So it was, uh, let me get it straight. It was Kevin Hart, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, um, I think Bill Bellamy on the stage at the same time, right? So usually drop-ins is like one at a time, but they all just came on stay on the stage and it was the crowd went freaking crazy. And this is before they, they locked the phones up, but they told people you couldn't have your phones out. And so that's one thing, like the seller patrols a place where you can't have your phones out. And so after a while, every time someone came up, I think it was um, Kevin Hart first and Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle all on the stage at the same time. And then next thing you know, everybody started pulling their phones out. They, they, and they, the sellers just had to let it happen. And they was going back and forth, telling stories, um, um, riffing on each other. You know, it was, it was like one of the best nights ever there. It was crazy. When high profile comedians like that drop in, are they regulated by time? Like typically, you know. Oh, no, no. Right. They, they, no. Refer, uh, Dave, Dave Chappelle came there one time. He, I think he went up on stage about, about 12.30 a.m. And he didn't get off stage till 8.46 the next day, 8.45, the same, well, same day, 8.45 a.m. And people was going in the hallway. And I remember the security guard kept asking, are you leaving? No, 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 I'm calling in sick. They will call in sick and go back inside. And are you leaving? No, 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 I got to call my boss and tell him I'm not going to come in. You know, and this is like, this is it like, you know, like throughout the night. So obviously not the whole audience stayed, you know, but a good 60% stayed, you know. I, you know, yeah, so there's, there's no time. Yeah, you would just let them rock. Nice. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Can you talk about your project, about your film, I Am Maurice? This one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a movie that my writing partner, Brian Kennedy, and I wrote. It's about a Haitian boxer that comes to New York City to pursue his love for boxing. Um, is a drama, it's not a comedy. And um, it just shows, it's just basically a film about when you want something really bad, you work really hard for it, regardless of what you gotta go through, you know? Nice. How did that yeah. process begin? Yeah. Well, Brian Kennedy and I, we, we ride a lot together. And then I had lost weight, I was 220 pounds, I dropped 70 pounds. And I started boxing. I met this trainer named Stephen Frank, and he made me love boxing. He was such a great trainer. He's such a great trainer. Was is he's such a great trainer? Where he works you out at the same time. He doesn't overwork you to make you hate boxing. And in boxing, you know, there's no relaxation like a, a basketball player. You know, they get to relax. But boxers are constantly like active, kind of on their toes, literally. Whether it's their legs, their arms, their, their mind, they, they thinking about stuff. So you constantly on stop. No, no, there's no rest period at all. Absolutely. So my trainer got me into boxing, and I love boxing so much. So I wrote this film about boxing and the dudes who just want to box. You could challenge uh, what's his face, uh, the blonde kid that challenges everyone. Oh no, no. Yeah, Jake <laughs> One of the falls. Yeah, right now we're still raising money to shoot the full feature. We did a trailer. I'm not sure you guys seen the trailer. We're still raising money to shoot the full feature and hopefully we'll have it. So Will, um, yes. you had a gigantic billboard uh, that millions of people could see. 
and you could put anything on it, what would it say and why? It would say black people are cool, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people would agree. In addition to raising money for uh, this feature film, are you working on anything new? Uh, any upcoming tours, any projects you wanna, wanna talk about? Um, I'll be at the Comedy Cell in Vegas in December, December 13th to the 19th. Um, as far as like any tours, nothing really yet. When you are coming up with material, do you have like a journal, take down pen and paper, you have a note on your phone? How do you catalog stuff you want to incorporate into your work? I could keep my stuff in like in a note stuff in on my phone. I'll just write like a word or two. And at the moment, I know what I'm talking about. But then like three, four weeks later, like socks without colors, what does that mean? You know, like, you know, headphones <laughs> with, with just a head, like, what does that mean? You know? So yeah, I do, I do, I, I just don't write it down fully a lot of times. And I need to start doing that because I got a lot of ideas. Well, what are the chances that uh, you make fun of us in your next? Uh, <laughs> oh man, it's not like that. It's not like that. No, it would be an honor. It really would be. No, for sure. These fucking Jews show. They call me not whoa, serious. Whoa, whoa! You trying to get me kicked out of my apartment? No. <laughs> you just have to make sure Isaac's there because I would love to hear it. <laughs> Isaac's been there a couple of times, right, Isaac? I haven't been in a while. I was going three times a week before COVID and then life happened. Can you date comedians or do you avoid dating comedians when you date? Oh, I avoid dating comedians, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I tend not to show where I work because, you know, like it can, obviously it, it goes good in the beginning, but then when it doesn't, then you got to see that person or whatever, you know. So it's just, it just best not to, you know, unless, you know, I mean, and I'm a super amazing person. I'm not, I won't say completely no to it, but I tend not to. It sounds like you keep a pretty busy schedule though. Uh, yeah, I'm working a lot. I'm writing with Brian or some other people. I'm, I, sometimes I, I, I get put on shows by some of my good friends in comedy, whether it's Chappelle, Aziz Ansari, Louis C.K. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm staying busy. It's going good. Good. You know, my goal is to just raise this money for this, raise this money for this movie and get it made. I really want to tell the story. Nice. So I'm personally very far away. I'm I'm currently in Israel. So you're in Israel right now. Right now, as you speak. Oh shoot. To say was you know obviously I'm very far away, but Isaac's pretty close, as you know. How can we? What, what do we have to do to get Isaac a couple of minutes on stage over there? He's, he's, he's had some time in different clubs. You know, I've, not, no, that's... Uh, on. You got to hit the open mic spots. There's tons of open mic spots in New York City. Yeah. No. You know? Come on, Isaac. Um, there's, there's, I know, yeah. You want to do... Uh, Isaac, are you serious about comedy? I'm a huge fan of comedy. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I'll write jokes and, like, store them. I've done five open mics. I'm by no means a comedian, and that's never been, like, an aspiration of mine, but I love being on stage. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm serious about learning more about comedy, but not like being a comedian. But I'm definitely going to be on stage sooner rather than later. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it doesn't. <laughs> do you want to do stand-up? Like, is that a passion? It's two different things. So you love comedy and then you want to do stand-up. I'm not asking about do you love comedy. We know you love comedy. Yeah. Do you want to do stand-up? The reason why I do it, I just, I love the feeling. That's how it started for me. It was a feeling. And then now you're just doing it. Yeah, but stand-up's not a degree. Like, you're not, like, going to school for it, and it's not, like, this methodical thing. Yeah, there's no, yeah, I mean, they they have classes. But <laughs> I started doing stand-up. It was just a thing I love to do. And then I was getting paid. I remember when I first got paid, I'm like, for real? I remember someone gave me, like, $75 for a 10-minute spot. And I was like, yeah, I could get paid for this? Those shitty jokes? And so it just became a thing, you know? So, yeah, it was a feeling. It was a thing because I love it. And I, and I kept, I just wanted to do it more. I love the feeling and 
of making people laugh and how they felt and how they how good they made me feel, whether they were laughing at me or with me, you know. So I guess my question was less like, how do we physically get Isaac there? Isaac, we're our biggest obstacle. Look at it like a hobby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think Isaac, if you if you're more serious about it, you should just like put on a schedule, meaning like. Let's say every Tuesday I'm going to go on stage. And what you just said, I, I've been on stage five times. That's like, you could just say I went to Egypt five times or like, you know, I've been to freaking Australia more times than you went, you've been on stage. I've been to Australia like, like 10 times probably. That'd be cool. Tuesday, comedy, therapy, that's part of the routine. Yeah. I, I, you just said the magic word. Comedy is like therapy, man. I mean, like that's during the pandemic when I was locked in and I was like, I was going crazy mentally. No, you know, not crazy, but like, and I realized, oh shit, comedy is like an outlet for me. It's like, it, it lets me get out my thoughts because I'm by myself most of the time. And so comedy, you know, during the pandemic, I was just, I was really by, we was all by, well, unless you have a family or, or someone you live with, you know, it, it, the pandemic really pushed us, whether you was living with someone or by yourself, it, it showed like introverts realize, oh shit, maybe you're not really an introvert. <laughs> I want some kind of connection, some kind of human connection. So yeah, all therapy, yeah. So comedy's therapy, you know, so it's like, you should do it. You never know, Isaac. I don't think he fits in the cellar stage. Yeah, you can do it from the, from the you can sit down. You, do, you can do sit down <laughs> comedy at the cellar. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me, man, on this day in Jewish history. <laughs> Check us out on Instagram. Yeah. That's your Instagram thing, on this day in Jewish history? Yeah. Yeah. Bye, Thank you so much for listening to the Two Tall Jews Show. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on Instagram at Two Tall Jews Show and Twitter at Two Tall Jews. And you can also find our umbrella page, Jewish Original Media on Instagram, and the very famous On This Day in Jewish History on Instagram as well, and on Twitter as at Daily Jewish. You can find a link to support us on any of our link trees on Instagram or Twitter or even YouTube. Any and all donations are appreciated and will help in development of all of our content, all of our projects. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening and take care.